So excited about what God is doing, and here we are celebrating Palm Sunday. Why don't you go ahead and stand up one more time? I know you just got comfortable, so yes, I'm doing this on purpose. Go ahead and stand up. As we're going to talk about that triumphal entry today, I wanted to bring us to a simple little chorus you may be familiar with, and it'll resound to that day when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, where the crowd celebrated and sang out, Hosanna. And so I'd like to sing a little song that incorporates the words Hosanna in the highest. Would you sing that with us as we kind of get our hearts ready for today's message? Pastor Sway, would you lead us? today we celebrate. Today we see you. We have come, we recognize, and we thank you that as today begins what we, what we know is Holy Week, that God, you begin to help us not just go through emotion, not just have a holiday, but to experience that truth, to come back to that foundation, to see its significance, and to let that build faith in our lives and to affect how we live now and through our life even into eternity. We are grateful people. We give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Yes. You may be seated. That was beautiful. Was that good? Praise God. Holy Week. So we're talking about this uh, whole week begins to focus us into what Jesus did throughout this week that led to his death, crucifixion, and then the resurrection we'll celebrate next Sunday. Open your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of John, chapter 12. This triumphal entry is mentioned in multiple gospels, but today I'm gonna focus in on John chapter 12. These weeks, this week, these two Sundays, and what happens in the middle, it's really important that we don't just let them go by as a date on the calendar. Holidays are important. Even when you look through Jewish history in the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, God charged his people to make sure they celebrated certain feasts. And in celebrating those feasts, he wasn't just wanting them to gather to have family time or to eat extra food, but he was wanting them to remember certain events because those events, those events were things that changed the course of their life and their destiny. It was events that needed to be appreciated and remembered so that we could pass it into our children. So even this week as we have Palm Sunday and then we go into Good Friday and then we have Resurrection Sunday, it's important that we hear those things again and again every single year. First of all, every time you hear it, God's gonna give you another revelation of that thing because it's infinitely amazing. Please don't come into today or next week and say, oh, I've heard it all. No, you haven't. And even if you did hear it, you're gonna hear it again and God will speak to you again, amen? His word is always alive and fresh. But it is important that we gather and that we remember, and we go through the process and the steps to see the truth that is in there because we can forget. But also so that we can make sure that truth goes on to the next generation. 
our world has gone off the rails. <laughs> and it's when we bring these things back that we remember there is truth and there is hope. And there is a plan of God that no matter how crazy the world gets, the world and its darkness can never change that light and it can never divert that plan of God. Amen? Amen. There's always been the enemy. There's always been darkness all around. And throughout it all, God's kingdom keeps marching on. And God's plan keeps marching on. Amen? And so today, let's talk about that triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. John chapter 12, let's look at verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And they shouted, Hosanna, or praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand this at the time, that it was fulfilled, a prophecy. But after Jesus entered into glory, they remembered what had happened and they realized that these things had been written about. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That is the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there is nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. That was a powerful moment. The triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. I wanted to read that passage of scripture for a couple of reasons. One of them, it does tell us why this crowd gathered. The reason the crowds came to see Jesus was because people had seen a testimony of Lazarus being raised from the dead and they began to share that testimony. And that is what drew the crowds. It's important, my friends, next week, as we want to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, that this week you allow God to use you to share your testimony about what you've seen Jesus do in your life. We can say, oh, we want all these people to come hear about Jesus. But even in the triumphal entry, even on Palm Sunday, they came because someone or a group of people were sharing their testimony the week before. Are you hearing me, church? Let's tell the story throughout the week. Let's not just assume next week the room will be filled with people who need to hear about Jesus. They will come, but this week, can we take an opportunity to tell somebody something good that Jesus has done in our lives? That's your testimony. That's your story. How many of you will agree and say, Lord, if you give me an opportunity to share my story and to brag on you, I'll do it this week. If that's you, commit, commit that and raise your hand. I'm not saying that you have to sit there and figure out a way to do it or go, you know, go out of your way to make that happen. I'm saying if God orders your steps and gives you that opportunity, you be faithful to open your mouth and tell your story. And then at the end say, hey, why don't you come with me to church next Sunday? God, I pray for what we just committed to. I ask that you order our steps. Lord, I ask that signs would follow this word and that God, this week, you would give us opportunity to meet someone who needs to hear a good story about what Jesus has done in our lives. Lord, I ask that you help us to remember immediately about this moment. I ask that you fill our mouth. We don't even have to worry about it in advance because when that opportunity comes, you will fill our mouth with that story. You'll remind us and you'll share with us what story to tell. Lord, you've given us so many stories of blessing, of your testimony. And God, we will be faithful to share. And Lord, we ask that you order our steps to the people that you're working on. Even now, you're ordering their life to come and be here next week that they may hear the gospel. They may come to know Jesus and their life be completely transformed forever. We agree with that. We thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, say amen. 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 There you go. Now God's going to do it. Let's talk about some of the events that happened. Remember what I said? We want to kind of go through this as Holy Week and kind of the significance of the whole week. So this week starts with the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, people celebrating him, riding on a donkey's colt, people taking palm branches, laying them in front of them, taking their coats down, laying them in front of him. Monday morning, tomorrow morning, Jesus goes and he clears the temple out. That's where he flips over the tables, moves out the money changers, begins to declare, my house should be a house of prayer. Praise God. So I want you to see, sometimes we, we hear about Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, but we forget that he didn't finish there. He started something there. He started, he opened up a big box and he was ready to move that whole week. God was doing something very, very special. And so the next day he goes into the temple and he begins to continue to turn things over. Tuesday, he teaches all day in the temple and then he goes out to the Mount of Olives and some of the key sermons that we hear about the end times and his coming and 
things that we hear about suffering and, and what God would do and help us through that and all these things. Some of the key stories and parables you'll hear Tuesday, he teaches all day long, starts in the temple, then he goes out to the Mount of Olives. On Thursday, they begin the Passover and the Last Supper happens. Then after Passover and the meal that we hear about Jesus having with his disciples, you see the paintings and all that stuff, he goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane, goes out into the, the, the garden where he spends time with God and he asks his disciples to tarry with him and to pray with him and they keep falling asleep and he keeps coming back and he tells them, you know, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and then all of a sudden Judas Iscariot betrays him and he begins to be approached by the Roman officers and everybody leaves him and abandons him. There, that starts happening on Thursday. You know, and actually let's even remember a little bit back into uh, the Passover meal. That's that famous passage where Jesus uh, takes a towel and washes his disciples' feet and he begins to talk to them about his death. And then they go out into the garden and the betrayal happens. Everybody leaves him. He gets arrested. And then he goes on trial all night long. He stands before the high priest. He stands before Pilate. The crowd begins to come against him. He's lied about repeatedly. That's all going on Thursday through Friday. And then Friday morning, he's crucified. And he dies 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The clouds gather, the skies grow dark. Jesus releases his spirit. He dies at three o'clock. By six o'clock, they take his body down and they begin to get him ready for burial. Saturday after 6 p.m. is when they actually treat his body because there was, that was the, 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 the Sabbath, so they weren't treating his body. They just took it down from the cross and then they waited. And then Saturday, 6 p.m., they treat his body for burial. They bury him and then early Sunday morning, Jesus is resurrected. The stone is rolled away. Jesus comes. He sees the, the women first. They go tell the disciples uh, about him being resurrected. The angels are there saying, why do you seek the living among the dead? And all of this stuff begins to unfold about his resurrection. So all these things transpire throughout this next week. I wanted you to kind of put that all into context because a lot happens between today and next Sunday. There's a lot of ministry. There was a lot of confrontation and conflict. There was a lot of highs and there was a lot of lows that happened. And then all of a sudden, you know, becomes the, comes the crucifixion. During today's message, I want us to focus on a few things. I want you to see Jesus, write that in your notes. I want you to see ourselves and I want you to see his victory for us. That's where we're going today with the triumphal entry and this holy week that we just discussed. I want us to see Jesus see ourselves and to see his victory for us. Let's start with the triumphal entry. Why did the crowds cheer? Why did they present palm branches to Jesus? Why did this happen? They believed their king had come to save them. The story of Jesus, I mean, they had heard about his miracles. They had heard testimony. He just raised Lazarus from the dead and people are celebrating that. They're coming out to see him. And in their mind, they're thinking, this is our king we've been waiting for, the fulfillment of the prophecies. He's going to save us from this physical oppression of the Roman Empire. He's going to make us a victorious nation. He's going to be our king. He's going to elevate Israel and we're going to be free and we're going to be blessed. And we're so excited because our king has come. And so they came out because they believed their earthly king, who was their Messiah, had come. The king had come, but they did not know that his kingdom was greater than what they were anticipating. They did not know that the mission he was on was bigger than they were hoping for. And it was going deeper places than they currently assumed. But that's why they came out. They came out because they genuinely believed this was it. Rome was going down, Israel's going up. This was our freedom. This is our moment. This is our king. And the palm branches spoke of victory. The palm branches spoke of celebration, of victory, and of royalty. It, palm branches were something Israel used for generations to celebrate victory. When they came out of Egypt and they had a feast or a festival where God commanded them to dwell in tabernacles, they took palm branches and they built these little houses that they would live in annually to remember the victory of coming out of slavery, coming out from underneath Pharaoh and into freedom and into being the children of God, into their promised land. And so palm branches for Israel all the way back to Egypt were something that was part of their celebration of victory over their enemies. Do you see that? So it's like, let's take these palm branches annually. Let's build these tabernacles. And these palm branches represent our deliverance from 
Pharaoh, from Egypt, from an earthly bondage, from that type of lifestyle, and we were set into freedom. And so this was part of Israel's tradition when it came to the palm branch. But palm branches throughout multiple nations had been used for victory. Even in the Greek empire, in the Olympic games, they would use palm branches to celebrate the victor, those that were the conquerors. Even when their emperors would come in, they would wear palm branches or crown people with palm branches or wave palm branches to signify victory and their authority and them being the leaders and the kings. So this is where palm branches come in. They were genuinely saying, like bringing us out of Egypt, you're delivering us from Rome. Like bringing us from out from underneath Pharaoh and he was the ruler, we're giving you the rulership, the authority, you're the king, you're the one, you're our deliverer, you're taking us out of slavery. And like this, when we were naturally delivered from Egypt, you're gonna naturally deliver us from Rome and we're using these palm branches. Or like that generation, whenever there's a champion, you're our champion, we're waving these palm branches. So the people genuinely saw Jesus being their earthly champion, the one that was going to bring them out of captivity, bring them into a physical deliverance right then and right there. So they weren't being religious. They weren't looking for a spiritual breakthrough. They were looking for a physical deliverance like under the days they were coming out of Egypt. Are you understanding that? And they were so excited about it. We've been waiting for this. So this is why the crowds cheered and used the palm branches. I'd like to point out that Jesus knew full well who he was in this moment. Jesus was very aware of his mission. The reason I bring that up is because he wasn't swayed by the people's opinion or desire for what they wanted him to do. He was very aware of who he was, even though nobody else was aware at that time of who he was or what he was called to do. Jesus knew that he was the Lamb of God that was meant to take away the sins of the world. Jesus knew he was our savior, our savior for something bigger than just Rome. In that moment, Rome felt like it was the biggest problem in their life. But you know, God was saving them from something even bigger. This relates to us in so many ways. But praise God, Jesus knew why he was there. Jesus knew who he was. And he wasn't gonna be pulled in to just what the people wanted him to do. He stayed on mission. He's the lamb of God. And he's here not just to deliver this people, but to take away the sins of the whole world. Are you hearing me, church? He was powerful enough to take down Rome. I'm gonna say yes to that. He's the king of kings. But I'm so glad he didn't settle for taking down Rome in a moment. But he chose to take down the kingdom of darkness forever. Amen. Jesus knew why he came. He came to save mankind from the fall. He came to introduce and reintroduce the heavenly kingdom to men and women. Jesus was not distracted by the opinions and expectations of the crowd. He knew they wanted an earthly king to come. He knew that they wanted him to battle the Romans, their oppressors, and restore an earthly kingdom to Israel. Even the fact that he chose to ride on a donkey is significant. It's significant because the people wanted him to go to war. He should have been riding on a horse. Horses represent warfare throughout that culture in that time. Kings would ride horses into battle, but he chose to ride on a donkey, which is a vehicle of peace. See, he didn't come to bring war to Rome, but he came to bring peace between God and man. Amen? It was prophesied, like the Bible told us, years and years and years earlier, and they didn't catch that prophecy. But even the way Jesus came into town, he was coming in not to go to physical war, but to bring peace. Peace between sinful man who'd been separated from God and between the God who loves them and wanted restoration for them. He came to bring peace between God and man. Remember, even when Jesus was born, the angels announced peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Jesus was about to fulfill that legally now. Jesus knew what he was doing, and this really spoke to me this week. Jesus knew what he was doing in this moment of entry. Think about this. This is, to me, this is overwhelming, and it made me so appreciated on another level the courage of this moment. Jesus knew in this moment of entry, he was setting the wheels in motion for his death. 
There were plenty of times Jesus withdrew himself from the crowd. There were plenty of times Jesus did miracles and said, don't tell anybody about it. It was as if he was waiting for a specific moment. But this moment where he goes into Jerusalem on that donkey, he goes into this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry, he knew there was no stopping now the wheels towards his death. I appreciate the fact that Jesus chose to now step into the middle of the crowd and be seen. To move from the fields and the mountainside and kind of avoiding these different moments where people wanted to push him into things. He had the decision to step into this moment knowing that from this moment, all the wheels are in motion. There's no stopping this thing. It ends in my death. Do you hear this church? I want you to see the significance of his choice. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 18, no one takes my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. Can you see the value of this church? He didn't have to go through that door and ride that donkey and down that street to where the whole world would now see him and the eyes of the world be upon him and the Pharisees say, it's time. They'd wanted to kill him for a long time and they couldn't. They even tried to throw him off a cliff and they tried to do many things. But Jesus knew in this moment, it was time. And I want us to appreciate in this Holy Week and in this Palm Sunday, the choice of Jesus to set the wheels in motion, knowing that from this entry on, there's no stopping this thing. The train has left the station. And I'm so grateful that he chose to ride into town and to let the story unfold. But we have to see that because there's, I remember I said, I want you to see Jesus and then I want you to see ourselves and then I want you to see the victory he purchased for us. But sometimes we go through these traditions, we go through these weekends and we forget the significance of the choice. We forget the significance that he knew, he knew when he entered Jerusalem, it had begun. The end had come. He knew it and he did it anyway. There's courage. It's courage in there, my friend. Amen. Courage motivated by intense love. It was his love for you and his love for me and his love for them. Even the ones that were about to crucify him that set him on that course. It was his love for the father that set him on that course too. I want us to see Jesus again. So many times we talk about us, us, us. I want us to talk about him right now. And to see his willingness, to see his love, to see his choice. This is why we love him, because he first loved us. Sometimes we don't take time to appreciate his intense love for us and that there's choices that he made and actions that followed that love. Which is why it's so important we take these weeks annually and we remember. We bring to remembrance. No one takes my life from me. The Pharisees didn't take his life. The, the Romans didn't take his life. The devil didn't take his life. He laid it down. He says, I have the authority to lay it down when I want to. And I also take it up again. For this is what my father commanded me. He knew the moment had come and he kept saying yes to the will of the Father. And he laid his life down. He let himself now be seen. He let the world focus on him. And even then the jealousy and the hatred of the world come upon him. In that moment when he rode into town and all the religious leaders began to say the whole world goes after him and their jealousy began to motivate them. He knew all that was going to happen. And he still let himself be seen because this thing had to begin. The end had to begin. We know that Jesus was very aware it was about to happen when he entered Jerusalem because just before he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, he says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 and 19, listen, he's talking to his disciples. Listen, we are going up to Jerusalem. So he's explaining it to them. We are going up to Jerusalem where the son of man will be betrayed to the leading priests, to the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged, and whipped, and then crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. 
Okay, just, just let yourself see the scripture again. I'm not here to entertain you in any shape, way, shape, or form. I'm here to point out the scripture and let the scripture feed you right now. Let the scripture get into your spirit in a new level right now. He literally prophesied everything that was about to happen to him, which means he saw it. He saw it in the scripture, but he also saw it in his spirit. You hear me? He saw the betrayal. He saw it in the scripture because he knew the word. He knew this was going to take place because the betrayal was prophesied thousands of years earlier. Do you realize all these steps that happened were prophesied by different prophets at different times, and there's no numerical mathematical equation that makes sense that one man could fulfill all of these prophecies, even in his death. He wasn't orchestrating his death. Are you hearing this? But he had seen it. He had seen it in the scripture. But then he also saw it. I believe in the spirit. He knew every step that was about to happen. He knew he was going to be betrayed, which means he also knew before the last supper, he was about to be betrayed. Are you hearing me church? And he knew someone was in that group and he knew who it was in that group. He already saw it. He knew that he'd be betrayed to the leading priests and teachers of religious law. He knew they would sentence him to die. He knew that was going to be the end of the story, that they would sentence him to die, that he wouldn't just get, you know, a little slap on the wrist or just get a little, you know, beaten like some of the others and released. He knew this was going to end in death. This was just before he went in Jerusalem on the donkey. I'm trying to tell you, when he rode that donkey in, he knew he was about to lay his life down. He knew this was the beginning of the end. He would be sentenced to die. Then he knew that they would hand him over to the Romans. That he would be mocked, flogged, and whipped. He even saw that scene. Can you imagine this church? He saw that scene that we've seen in passion plays and we've seen in the movies trying to depict the horror of that time where he's being whipped with that cat of nine tails and his back is laid open. He's prophesying it. He's already seen that. Here's what I'm trying to help us see. He went into all this with his eyes wide open. He went into this willingly. No one took his life. He laid it down. He saw it. He saw the extent of it. And he still said yes. He knew he'd be there alone. He knew he would be betrayed. And he still said yes. Thank you, Jesus. He'd be whipped, crucified. But praise God, he also knew on the third day, he would raise from the dead. He knew the end from the beginning. God speaks the end from the beginning. And he told the disciples about it, which is why Jesus reminded the, the ladies when they saw him at the tomb, like, go remind the disciples. I will meet them like I said. Because he had said it before all this happened. But in the middle of the sorrow, in the middle of their disappointment, they weren't thinking of these things. And so he reminded them of what he had said. Can we see that Jesus knew was about to take place. He was a man on a mission. Jesus often withdrew from the crowd. He requested certain miracles not be broadcast. Jesus knew his hour had come and it was time for him to be announced. He also knew that this announcement would begin his road to death. He even fanned the flame. I just, this blows me away. Okay, so he, he knew all this going into town, but then he even fanned the flame because not only did he know he would be seen coming in riding on a donkey, on Monday morning he goes to the temple and starts knocking over all the tables. It's like the, the religious leaders were already mad that the whole world was going after him in the triumphal entry. And he's like, just in case you didn't know I was here, let me go into your temple and start cleaning house. Let me go into that stronghold, that place where you feel like that is your little kingdom and remind you it's the kingdom of God. Come on, religious leaders. You see what I'm saying? It was like he was a man on a mission. He didn't just come in on the donkey and then just wait to be crucified. Like he kept stirring up those devils. He kept confronting. He went in, in the old West terms, guns a-blazing. You know what I mean? Like, hallelujah. I love that. Then he went and taught publicly, like I told you earlier in the temple all day long. He was present, he was there. It was like he was just standing in front of the devil saying, I'm here 
and I'm not leaving. I've drawn the line in the sand and I'm here. He was a man on a mission, a king going to war. His weapons would not be of our warfare, but they would be mighty through God. He would win his victory by surrendering to death. Can you say amen to that? He would win his victory by surrendering to death. Can we see his strength of heart and mind? Can you see his love for us and for them? Can we see his love for the Father and his willingness to obey? So now let's look at ourselves. I wanted us to take some time to just see Jesus. And now let's look at ourselves. In one week, the crowd, because we're part of the crowd, we're human beings, we're part of that crowd, went from Hosanna to crucify him. I want us to see this because I think we might fall into this category more often than we realize. We can look at that crowd and be like, oh, that crowd. Man. But you know what? We can easily fall into that same scenario. Within, remember what it was, Sunday? Between Sunday and Thursday, it wasn't even a week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, between Sunday and Thursday, they went from Hosanna to crucify him. How many times do we go from a Sunday morning service where we're like, Hosanna, to God's not helping me. God's left me. It's not worth it. Do you hear me? I mean, maybe this isn't you, but maybe the person that you've seen next to you has done this. The person who lives in your house, you're like, that's not me, but I know that. But come on, man. Let's be real. We've all fallen into this moment where we see him. He's the king. He's the savior. Sunday, hallelujah, hosanna. By Thursday, he's abandoned me. It's not worth it. I'm giving up. I don't need God. And it's important that we see that possibility in us. In this moment, he was applauded by hundreds and hundreds. Four days later, he kneels alone. It's interesting. He's surrounded possibly by tens of thousands in Jerusalem for that celebration. Hundreds and hundreds, we know, are yelling and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. So he's completely surrounded by the crowd on Sunday. But by Thursday, he's standing alone. Think about that. Think about that, would you please? Going from the crowds and hundreds supporting you, were with you, to being absolutely alone in four days. Imagine losing your total social media platform in three days. Think about that. Some people work so hard to gain all these followers. Look at me, I've got millions of followers. And what if in three days you had zero? Think about that. Zero. Not one person will admit they know you or that they ever followed you. Are you hearing me, church? Can we see this story a little more real, a little more up close? Thousands of people saying, we're with you. You're the one. We love you. Four days later, crickets. Standing alone. He kneels alone in a garden. He stands alone before Caiaphas and Pilate. And finally, he hangs alone on a cross to where even the face of the Father turns away. Why? Why did this happen? Why did it go from Hosanna to crucify him? I looked into the word Hosanna a little bit, and I know the word Hosanna means praise God, and you know, it's a, a word of celebration. But did you know the word Hosanna also means save us now? Did you know that? You can write that in your notes. I think it's significant. Because when he was coming into town as the king, they were declaring, yay, save us now. Fix my problem right now. Rescue me now. There's nothing wrong with that. But that was what was in the forefront of their mind. Save us right now. Save us immediately. Fix it now. And I think that's significant. Save us the way we want to be saved. Human nature. Rome's my biggest problem. Fix that. And fix it the way I want you to fix it. And fix it now. <laughs> Does that sound like human beings? They wanted a conqueror. They wanted an Alexander the Great. 
They wanted a Julius Caesar. They wanted a Judas Maccabee. They wanted someone to come in and to bring a physical war and to bring them physical release from the oppression and they wanted it right now. The people went from, I need a hero and a savior to we don't want this hero and we don't want the way he wants to save us. Enthusiasm turns to anger when expectations are not met. They were enthusiastic because they thought they were about to get what they want when they wanted it. And when God wasn't gonna be moved to give them what they wanted when they wanted it, it moved from enthusiasm to anger. That can happen to us too. Because we want God to do something right now in a specific way. And sometimes if it doesn't happen right now in a specific way, we can become angry and we can become that crowd that was once celebrating because we thought we were gonna get what we wanted. We thought we were gonna get it when we wanted it. And he had another plan that's actually bigger and better than we thought, but we're just bitter that he didn't do what we wanted when we wanted it. Are you hearing me? Here's what I want us to learn in this principle, in this lesson. That Jesus was saving them and us from nightmares that were far bigger than the current problem they were facing. Christ's solution to their problem was reaching all the way back to a 4,000 year root of darkness. They wanted something that would fix this couple decade problem but God came in to fix a problem that happened at the beginning of the whole world. And he knew that that was the real problem because if he removed that problem, then no kingdom in this planet could ever keep his people captive because they'd be released into an eternal heavenly kingdom. They would be released into power and authority that would usurp and no law could stop and no army could stop and he knew that what they really needed was entrance into the kingdom of God, not escape from a temporary Roman occupation. Are you understanding this? This is bigger than just this story of Palm Sunday because my friends, even in our lives, when he's not, doesn't look like he's doing what you want him to do, he's actually doing something you need him to do that if you knew what he was doing, you'd be so glad he was doing it. Let me try to say it another way. Jesus was never off mission. And even when they were accusing him of not being the savior they wanted, he was still saving them. He was still saving them. He didn't deter him. He didn't sit there and say, well, forget them then. They don't appreciate what I'm doing. They don't even see it. Isn't it good that he was so focused on his mission, he didn't need other people to applaud it. He didn't need other people to understand it. He just needed to fulfill it. He just needed to fulfill it. Most of us don't have that kind of internal strength to do it alone. We need somebody to tell us you're doing a good job. We need somebody to tell us we're with you. But Jesus was alone. He had no one. And he had to stay on a mission that no one else understood. And he had, couldn't get drawn off into everyone else's side mission. He had to stay on his mission for their good. It's amazing. But sometimes that's when we get bitter at God is because we're so focused on this immediate concern, this immediate need, this immediate deficiency. You lost a job. Maybe a, a doctor situation happened or there happened, something happened. You prayed about something. It didn't work out the way you thought. I just wanna remind you right now that in all those situations, when things happen that you didn't expect or you didn't, you asked God to fix it in a certain way and it didn't get fixed in that way, I just wanna remind you that he's never stopped saving you and he's never stopped working for your good and that he's working on stuff that maybe you can't see that's bigger and that when you get to the other side, you'll realize that he never left you, never abandoned you and that his plans and purposes were bringing you to good and precious places. And so it's not as if he's not listening and it's not that he doesn't love you, but we all have experienced, save me now, save me in the way I wanna be saved and if you don't do it, I'm offended but he's a good God and he loves you and he's not quitting his mission on your life even when we don't value or appreciate or understand it. Come on church, that's a good place to celebrate God. He 
He is being faithful. And we all have experienced this, if we're honest. A few years after that scenario, we can look back and say, all my life you have been faithful. And I will sing of the goodness of God. But in the moment, in the moment, we can be tempted to think he's, he's not faithful. In the moment, we can think he's not listening. He's abandoned us. He's not being a good God. But if you give it time, you'll realize he was always working a plan. And he will always be faithful. Can we see the unfaithfulness of a human heart, the capacity of unfaithfulness in a human heart? The crowd from Palm Sunday to Thursday and Friday completely changed. But even in the disciples, those who were closest to him, like let's just get really up close to that situation. Like the Last Supper. The Last Supper is happening Thursday. And everyone at the table is saying, I'm with you. Like, because he says, I'm about to be betrayed. And people are like, is it me? Is it me? And then, and then they're like, I'll never betray you. I'll never do it. Right? I love Peter. <laughs> I love Peter. I would die for you. I would never betray you. And it's like hours later. See ya. Just hours. Not even a day. But aren't we grateful that even though we can be the same spirit as these individuals, that Jesus went right back to those disciples after his resurrection and he didn't rebuke them and he didn't sit there and punish them. But he said, come, let me heal those places in your heart and let me continue to use you. You didn't understand what you didn't know. I'm here to show you the other side now, right? Praise God, they weren't disqualified. They were unfaithful, they betrayed. Let's call it like it is. They betrayed the Lord and the Lord still used them to build his church, to fulfill their mission. This should set a lot of us free because there's times where we consciously can even betray the Lord. But he is faithful and he's coming after you and he still has plans and purposes for your life. Amen. Finally, I wanted you to see that this victory was for us. Remember Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down. So there had to be a motivation for him to lay his life down. And I want us to remember that motivation. He was fighting for them. That whole crowd that would deny him. That even those religious leaders that would crucify him. Even the disciples that would betray him. He was fighting a victory for them. And for us. Amen. The whole time even though they didn't see it or appreciate it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two. Let's run the race with endurance, the race that God has before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy that was set before him or waiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor besides God's throne, right hand. He saw something that kept him on mission. When everybody wanted to pull him off mission, he saw something that kept him on mission. He saw the joy that was set before him. And this is what the joy was. The joy was our victory over sin. Listen to me, church. The joy wasn't his victory over sin because sin never had victory over him. The joy before him was all these people, this crowd of mockers and betrayers and angry mob. The joy set before him was all of their freedom over this, their victory to come out of that. The joy set before him was our access into the kingdom of God. It wasn't his access into the kingdom of God because he had access into the kingdom. Are you following me? The joy set before him was what he was going to bring about in our lives our victory over sin, our access to the kingdom, our eternal life, our victory over the devil, our cleansing and being made holy so we could receive the Holy Spirit and God's power, our deliverance. Amen. Today I hope that we see how much Christ loves us. I hope that today's message has brought you back to a place of appreciation to how much Christ loves you. 
I hope you can trust him to be faithful, to figure out the best ways to fight your battles. Maybe you came in here today saying, I prayed this and I prayed this and I didn't see it happen. I just wanna remind you today that he is faithful. He's still fighting your battles and you just keep walking that journey and you will look back and you will see the goodness of God. I want you to see how Christ loves you. I want you to see he's faithful to figure out the best way to fight your battle. Don't get offended when he doesn't do it your way. Don't get offended when he doesn't do your way because we have that, we have that capacity to be that way. Perhaps if we're honest, we have felt a bit like the mob recently. We once shouted his praises, but when we were disappointed with unmet expectations, we let ourselves get angry and offended and we've withdrawn from God. I wanna give you a moment as we close in prayer that if you have felt yourself get offended with God because like that crowd, he didn't fix things the way you want him to get fixed. Today, hopefully you're hearing that he's loving you. He's never stopped loving you. He's never stopped the plan that he has over your life. He's working that plan. And if you've pulled away from God at all because of disappointment in any way, would you please take a step towards him today? Because he loves you. He loves you. And you're going to see his love manifest in your life. You're going to see his faithfulness to you. Just like the people didn't see it in the moment, but they saw it later, you will see the wisdom of God and you will see the goodness of God. But if you've allowed yourself like the angry mob to pull away and get offended, today we need to repent of that and we need to take a step towards God today. Would you stand as we, give, as we close in a word of prayer? Amen. Amen. Let me pray this over your life, okay? Put your hands over your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now we come and we take time today to see and to appreciate this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry, this whole week and all the things that happened throughout this week. God, today I ask that you help us to see Jesus, help us to see ourselves. Lord, if there's any of us in this place that God, for some reason or another, kind of like that angry mob, maybe we were crying out, save us now, save us this way, do this. And, and for some reason it didn't happen the way that we thought, the way that we wanted. And God, if we were honest, we've taken a step back or we've gotten offended. Today we repent of that. We change that position, we change that mindset and we begin to see you. We begin to turn towards you and say, God, forgive us. Forgive us from growing cold or letting that anger take root. God, we give that to you now. We may still not understand the details. We may still not understand why this or why that, but we are willing to say that we love you and we trust you. And we know that you're for us, not against us. And that we're gonna let you keep walking us through this life. And we will, we will, we will see the goodness of God. And we trust you and we thank you for that. I pray for healing throughout this room right now of any hearts that if any part of those hearts have grown hard or cold or angry, that God, you just help us to be healed by the love of God in this moment, healed by the vision of your vision over our lives. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We thank you for being willing to set those wheels in motion, laying your life down by choice. We thank you for carrying the plan all the way through. We appreciate you, Jesus. We appreciate the victory and why that victory was our victory. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you just give him a big celebration, church? Thank you, Jesus. Before you leave, please just bow your heads and close your eyes for the next 30 seconds. Today, if there's anyone in the room that needs to make a decision to serve Jesus, to give your heart to God, you say, Pastor Kevin, I don't remember a time in my life that I've ever asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Then let's do that today. Or you may say, I used to have a relationship with the Lord, but I walked away. I grew cold and I'd like a restart. I'm about to pray a prayer to lead you in a prayer. And if that's you today and you say, you know, I'm ready to recommit or commit my life to Jesus. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages and price of our sin is death, which is separation from God, even hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. And the Bible simply says, all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And so today I want to give you an opportunity to call on the Lord. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you say, Pastor Kevin, that's me, I would like to call on the Lord to forgive me of my sins, to be my Lord and Savior for the first time, or to recommit your life. And when I count to three, just raise your hand right where you are. Ready? One, two, three. If that's you, put your hand up. There's a hand right here in the front. There's a hand in the middle. I see your hand. Anybody else? Put your hand up. Put it up high. Three, four in the back over there. Praise God. Anybody else today? Put your hand up and we'll pray together. One big group. Anyone else this morning? The Lord sees it. He takes your faith. All right, church, let's pray together, would you? So no one's praying by themselves. Would you pray this prayer after me? Those of you at home as well. Dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize that I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you celebrate those four? Welcome home. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.